0: Welcome to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Kate Moore Youssef, and I'm a wellbeing and lifestyle coach, EFT practitioner, mum to four kids, and passionate about helping more women to understand and accept their amazing ADHD brains. After speaking to many women just like me, and probably you, I know there is a need for more health and lifestyle support for women newly diagnosed with ADHD. In these conversations, you'll learn from insightful guests, hear new findings, and discover powerful perspectives and lifestyle tools to enable you to live your most fulfilled, calm, and purposeful life wherever you are on your ADHD journey. Here's today's episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. And I am bringing to you some fantastic episodes from way back when maybe when we first started. And I want to bring these to you because I know how much gold there is in them. And because there's so much content now within the resources of the podcast, I want to make sure that some of the brilliant episodes with some fantastic experts are getting some airtime for maybe some of the new listeners. So this week's show is featuring, we're talking about disordered eating and we're talking about binge eating and making intuitive decisions with regards to food and removing the the judgment and the shame around food with ADHD, because as so many of us know, um, impulsive eating, um, any types of of binge eating with ADHD is quite common. And... um, it's obviously taking a lot of people to make those connections, to join the dots. And our first guest today is Dr. Bumi abu and she is one of the world's leading food addiction coaches. And we talk about how binge eating or food addiction, disordered eating alongside ADHD is actually very common. And we talk about the connection between ADHD and addiction as well, and ways that we can press pause, we can go back into our bodies, we can start recognizing and creating more awareness around our choices with food. And I'm so delighted to have um, this episode re-aired again, because her work really does cover the full spectrum of disordered eating, compulsive eating, emotional eating, And she is also the author of Craving Freedom, which is a new book for those wanting to build a healthy relationship with food. So if this is something that you have historically struggled with and you've really um, not been able to access the resources or the advice, um, this first episode is going to be really, I hope, very helpful to you. And then we move into a conversation with um, Aletta Storch, and she is a fantastic anti-diet, intuitive eating, ADHD dietician. Um, she has a fantastic community um, and a membership, and she helps lots of neurodivergent people create um, healthier, more compassionate relationships with food and lean towards more intuitive eating and making nutritional choices that work for us. So we're removing the judgment and we're removing all this sort of shame that we've put on ourselves and lean into the ways of eating that work for us, and hopefully, um, are also nutritionally smart as well. So I really hope these two smaller, shorter episodes help you with regards to um, any sort of food patterns that you might want to um, change, reassess, and create more awareness around. Now, as always, please do check out the resources on my website. I have lots of free ones, paid for ones, longer workshops. I've got the ADHD women's hormone series, which is fantastic. And we've got lots of nutritional and lifestyle advice there with Kim Schweiger and also Sophie Tully, two fantastic nutritional therapists, specializing in slightly different things. So if nutrition, food, um, supplements, anything like that is of interest, we've got that all in the hormone series. So here's my conversation with Dr. Bumi
1: Abawerba. So my journey basically is my Ennisferibus, I call it. Was 2008. That was my breakdown. Years before that, I struggled with alcohol, but before that was food. Now, when I backtrack, it was originally food. So when I was younger, in my teenage days, it was binge eating. So I'd come home, I was latchkey kid, came back from school. My parents worked full time, and you know, go into the pantry, and I would just raid the pantry whether it's biscuits, whatever. And I didn't even, didn't know anything about it, but, you know, I'd just eat and eat and eat. And, you know, my mum would say, oh, where have the biscuits gone? Or where's that gone? And and I would lie about it. You know, I'd say, oh, the biscuits, it came out the the bread bin and it all fell on the floor. I had to put them in the way, anything. So there was a lot of hiding already from that get-go. But then I discovered alcohol in my teens when I got a Saturday job, and then it replaced the food. And it was my best friend. It was something that made me feel it changed the way I felt, just like the food did beforehand. It gave me more courage. I felt more confident. When I feel down, it was, you know, it's the alcohol. So it wasn't a huge problem, but it became a problem later in life. I mean, it was a massive problem in the end, you know, such that I had to get help and everything else. And that was kind of 2008, way into my, my 40s. And then, you know, coming into recovery from alcohol, great. The food started again. Now, again, with addiction, it sort of tells you that you haven't got it. So there's quite a bit of denial going on. And, you know, when I came into recovery from alcohol, I was really happy about that. But now I was starting to kind of latch onto food again. And it became really ferocious. So for nine months in my recovery from alcohol... I started to binge on junk food, uh, biscuits, anything I could get my hand on that just gave me that big sense, that big high. Again, a lot of shame and guilt. The hiding started again. What I really realised at the end is, oh, my goodness, I'm doing exactly the same thing as I did with alcohol and as I did when I was younger. So I actually didn't even think about my food history back then. And then it came to, it was like a sudden epiphany. I'm doing exactly what I did before. And it was a comfort. It was dumbing down my emotions. It was all those things. It helped me cope with life. So I realized for me, it was an addiction. It was the cravings. It was the compulsion. It was that need to have it. And that feeling of feeling really, really great when I've had it, but then feeling really bad afterwards because it didn't last very long. So it was that that cycle, the addiction cycle of obsessing about it, craving, withdrawal symptoms, and denials, a big part of it as well. And I was doing the same thing again. And I knew it had to stop because I knew that I didn't want to go back to alcohol either. I didn't want to start. And I realized I could latch onto all sorts of different things, you know, if I wasn't careful. So I could be a workaholic or, you know, which a lot of people with ADHD also have. Oh, I could be a shopaholic, and it was just very, impu- very impulsive, and so I started to really look at what was going on for me, and I started to look at the science around addiction, and that's when I just thought, my goodness, it's exactly the same thing, but it's a different drug, and it's food. Yeah, exactly. Um, so how did you get the help that you
0: needed, and how did your food addiction, or your addictions, help
1: you become someone that helps people now? First of all, you know, I was still in sort of early days of my own recovery, but I knew for me, for some reason, I don't know, maybe I was connected to the right person, but a friend of mine, because I was starting to feel a bit down because I was trying to stop the eating, trying to, you know, the alcohol, I did go to 12 step programs, you know, which really helped me, but there was something more, you know, I needed more. And a friend of mine suggested that I see a friend who, you know, was a shaman, she did like holistic Things like crystals and whatever, Reiki. Mm. And I thought, let me just go and see it because, you know, I didn't want to binge again. I didn't want to drink again. And I didn't want to go on medication. So my next step was, okay, let me keep an open mind and see this lady. And I'm a bit of a science board and thinking, oh, well, let's see. But I don't know if it's going to work. So when I went to go and see her, Anna, lovely, she's a friend of mine to this day, you know, I started to feel better. And I started to think, well, Let me use the holistic things as well, holistic avenues. So I got very curious about Reiki, which helps calm you down. Everything that calmed me down really helped. It kind of created this space for me to think. It just kind of calmed me down. It gave me the space between the first thought and the second thought. The first thought is like, let me, I need to do this, or I need to eat, or I need to drink, or I need to do that, to making a decision and calming me down to not do it so I started to explore that so at that time I wasn't looking at helping other people so I started to look that journey things like hypnosis NLP all of those things that helped calm me down it gave me a sense of peace without having to reach okay. for something to help my emotion you know as always something has to change my emotion yeah So that was my journey for the next few years, up to about 2014, 15. And then I went into becoming, um, I was helping people, like, for instance, in 12 Step, became a sponsor. And then I just thought, I really want to help people with addiction. So I became a recovery coach. So helping people with alcohol addiction. But then interestingly enough, people, again, maybe this was my calling, people were coming to me with, oh, I've heard that you're good with alcohol. Are you any good with food? So I said, oh, yeah. And it started to kind of, I know where you're coming from. I understand what you're you're saying. So it was like, oh, again, it was another, it's my calling. So I started to specialize in food and addiction and, you know, food addiction counselor, just about to qualify in that, but I'm a registered food addiction coach. And for me, it's because so many people don't realize they've got it. You know, they're saying 50% of people with struggling with obesity have food addiction. 30% who are overweight and normal weight have food addiction. And 20% of the population who are underweight are exhibiting food addiction. So it's out there. You know, that is data. That is solid data. And as I said, so many people just want to have some sense of direction and awareness of it. And it could be just education and just saying, this is what it is. Oh my goodness! So that's what it is, right? Let's have some simple steps. You know, when some people know what you're you know, you're struggling with, and it's a case of, right, brilliant. Nobody's told me that before. Oh, I see. You know, it's a it's a physiological problem. It's in the body, and then it latches onto emotions. I think that's the most powerful bit,
0: isn't it? When people understand that it is physiological, neurological, it is there's an, an actual reason that it's not just down to poor willpower or someone that's like greedy or all these negative connotations that we've, you know, especially growing up with society and family conditioning and Especially, I think what typically happens, and I know with ADHD for sure, it's completely genetic. So we will have seen it in like parental behavior or in siblings or, um, and then we see the patterns emerging either in ourselves or our children. And that's when we start getting sort of like different light bulb moments. I mean, for me, from a personal perspective, when I had my ADHD diagnosis, I'd spent years trying to fix myself. Genuinely trying to fix myself, thinking, well, there's something wrong with me for sure. Like, why can't I stick at things? And why am I so impulsive? And why am I always trying new things and losing things? And all of that, I'm used to call myself the most terrible things. And and my self-esteem was rock bottom. Then I found out actually, this is why your brain is working in this specific way, and it's not like someone else's and who you're comparing to. And all of a sudden, I was just like, okay. Those The self-acceptance started coming in a little bit. I'm still working on that. I can distance myself from my behaviour as well.
1: You're not your behaviour. You're not your behaviour. And if that behaviour is driven because of a neurochemical imbalance, we can address that. But it's again, it's not beating yourself up.
0: My question is, where do people start? If people are listening now, listeners are nodding their heads and saying, yes, this has been me for years. How do they begin? This journey of trying to manage their disordered eating
1: Mm -hmm. first thing I would say just this all very simplified because everybody's different is first of all you know what was your relationship with food and historically because you know a relationship with food does stem back usually to childhood and whether it was you know used as a reward or deprivation there's so many readers so many connotations to what's happening later on in years from you know their relationship with food and childhood so we kind of unravel that little bit not too much because as a coach to try and move people forward but we can't kind of shut the door on our past so let's look at what were the patterns from when you were younger you know how did you use food how did you feel what were your say triggers you know what drove you to eat or not eat in the case and really just to kind of and un- un- peel that little bit in a safe way to be able to get to a kind of peace around what happened in the past and let's move it forward is very very important so it's getting a sense of more awareness people aren't people are rushing around doing especially somebody with ADHD and it's just sitting and just reflecting and saying okay yeah, that did happen and I would eat and I would hide it and I would do that and You know, what came up for you? What were the feelings around that? What were the feelings around before you ate? Um, What were the feelings as you're eating in your body? So it's very much like body listening. So we start to look at body listening, body awareness, because again, we're kind of cut off from our emotions. You know, sort of the mind-body thing needs to be reconnected. So it's progress. It's a slow kind of unravelling and then kind of wrap it up and go, we are where we are, making peace with that. And then moving forward, how do we, again, how do we structure it so that, you know, you are more in control of the binge eating? And again, it's not linear. And I say to many of the patients, this is a journey of exploration and um, finding You know who you are, what we can do, what are your triggers, what makes you feel safe, what doesn't make you feel safe, and and bit by bit by bit. So it's just recognising... Where you started off from, maybe having a journal, so journaling and, and pinpointing what maybe a food diary. and you know when do you pick up that particular food when you start binging? What are you feeling beforehand? What are you feeling afterwards? So then we start get a you're starting to get a pattern. Um, and then we can look at you know what are the coping strategies that we can have around it. What do we need to do to help you support you? Yes. And so helping somebody move away from shame and guilt, that this is a journey. It's nothing to do about shame and guilt. You know, we're moving towards a peaceful peaceful outcome with food and with yourself. And this is where if somebody, for instance, is also has put on weight because they say that, I think the stats are, I think there's five times more prevalence of obesity with women with ADHD, that it's not guilt or shame or lack of willpower or anything like that. It's a, It's a neurochemical problem. I'm a big believer in rituals, you know, having your rituals during the day kind of anchors you, doesn't it, into into your body, so, you know, the rituals for, setting rituals up for my clients, I think is very, very important, and routine, Uh, it's very easy to get out of routine with ADHD, so it's planning your day, you know, in the morning, setting up maybe, you know, a few minutes of breath work, first of all, when you wake up glass of water, a few minutes of breath work, a little bit of meditation. I don't always say to people do hours and hours of it, just like five minutes. What can you do? What can you cope with? So you're getting the body back into what we call parasympathetic, because with ADHD, it's all about the sympathetic, isn't it? And it's the Frightened flight. It's almost like a frightened flight, you know, what do I do? What do I do? So it's the impulse part of the brain firing off all the time. So we're kind of moving somebody from sympathetic to parasympathetic. As often here when uh you know, we wake up in the morning, it's like, <gasps> let's go. Let's not do that. Let's just get into our bodies. How are we feeling? Did we have a good night's sleep? Which is what I encourage as well. And just get into the day beautifully, set yourself two or three tasks to do that day we don't need to be going gung-ho into anything so they've got that space to do things so you can just focus on that and then focus on that and focus and it's done or two things or one thing whatever you can cope with you know and clients sort of say to me oh I I used to kind of do this this and 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 then it would end up more hyper where I sort of did one or two important things during the day there's like I could focus I did it pat on the back I feel good about myself. I don't feel the need to to reach out, you know, with cravings. Um, and again, we've got little coping mechanisms for craving control. You just mentioned one, which is the stop technique, which is you know, stop, breathe, take time out, observe what's going on in your body, then proceed. Usually, that is, is enough time to go from sympathetic, which is the kind of rush, fright, flight feeling anxiety, rushing to the sympathetic. So it just calms that, that the reward impulse part of the brain. So the prefrontal cortex, which is the thinking, the CEO of the brain to kind of kick in. And I think with ADHD, there's a slight glitch in that, but it's giving it time for that to, to engage so we can stop and we can think and it takes practice. That is a little bit of effort is needed. But then after that, we're not we're not using willpower. We're not we're not working against ourselves. We're working with ourselves then, so that we can yeah, exactly. with other things. So, and that's why I don't like diets, for instance, because you're always working against yourself, and you're always having to use willpower, and that exerts effort, and that exerts anxiety, and it exerts worry, and again, this vicious cycle. I'm not good enough. I'm a failure. I'm rubbish, and da da da. da. So I'm very much less it it down. So
0: do you try and manage your client's expectations so they know that this is going to be, this
1: is lot this is for the long haul? It's not a quick fix. And I, I say that from, from the get-go, this is not another diet. This is a lifestyle change and it's not linear as well. So, you know, there's going to be times where you recognize that you're, you're slightly off path and you've had a binge that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to go all the way back again and oh this black and white thing can I've done it again and that's it so it's it's it is nurturing expectations but also putting into place what happens if you do have a binge it's not a sense of failure it's a learning what happened what happened before you had that binge let's unpack that bit you know so that we you can probably recognize it next time and yeah recognizing That I think is very, very important, but it's a slow process, getting somebody onto, you know, a healthier eating pattern. And I kind of normally suggest no deprivation, you know, which is what happens with with dieting, no restriction, three meals a day. I kind of put it down to about six, six small meals. So it's keeping the blood sugars up. So we're not lending to the cravings and the, brain-starved and become impulsive, then it eat sugar-laden foods. So it's keeping that up. But it's putting in those daily rituals, which is kind of just slowing the brain down.
0: I really hope you are enjoying today's episode. And I wanted to let you know about all the resources and the library of content that I'm building for you on my website. I know so many of you who are waiting for a diagnosis or perhaps have had a diagnosis and then have just been offered the only option of medication. So my library of resources is really open for anyone that wants to learn more about how to help themselves and empower themselves with regards to their ADHD. As you probably have heard me talking about, I have my ADHD hormone series, where I am speaking to lots of different experts and specialists about how our hormones have impacted us throughout our lives and the connection between ADHD. We're talking about migraines, about gut, about PCOS, endometriosis. We're talking about PMDD, postnatal depression, and the impact of ADHD on pregnancy. There are so many different areas and complexities that our ADHD shows up as women. And I want to give you that validation, but also give you lots of tools at your disposal, lifestyle tools, nutritional tools, being able to get genetic testings, really understanding your hormones, and also, of course, perimenopause and menopause and how that shows up. I'm speaking to lots of different doctors, nutritional therapists, real experts and scientists in their field. That is part of my resources, but I also have lots of free resources as well with regards to burnout. Managing our energy, using EFT tapping, and just general well being. So, I really want you to be able to tap into these different resources, whether it's paid for, it's the free ones. Um, I've got your tapping into your gold workshop, which is a very empowering workshop, helping you thrive alongside your ADHD with regards to your career and leaning into your authenticity and really being open to what it is that you want out of life. Now you understand your ADHD, your brain, your energy, and I guess what your desires are now that you have more of an awareness around the way your brain works. So please head to my website, adhdwomenswellbeing.co.uk, choose the resources that work for you. Start slow. Start with one workshop, with one resource. Try not to get overwhelmed but I do urge you to look at the ADHD and hormones workshops because it's so groundbreaking and we're giving you the most up-to-date information and I am updating this with new specialists and experts as we speak. So I've just updated it and from September onwards, we are gonna be increasing the price due to the increase in resources. So if you are interested, I would urge you to, to look at it right now at the launch price. And now here's my conversation with Aletta Storch. So I think the first thing I'd love to ask you about is intuitive eating. And I think we'll get into the nitty gritty of all the different connections with ADHD and nutrition, but we hear this terminology bandied around and it can feel quite big and we're not quite sure what that means. Can you explain what it means?
2: And I guess, are most people eating intuitively or how does that work? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So I like to think of intuitive eating as just being able to like know your own body and understand your own needs and be able to like eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full and like sometimes thinking ahead and being able to eat even though you're not hungry but you know you're going to be hungry later or sometimes eating beyond fullness because you're celebrating at a party and you really enjoy chocolate cake. Oftentimes, people just see it as like that hungerfulness diet of, of only eating when you're hungry and stopping when you're full. And there are so many more factors that are involved in it. And with folks with ADHD, there's this idea like we can't listen to our bodies, or we have too much impulsivity to be able to honor exactly what our body needs in the moment. And that's what I always thought about intuitive eating. Um, So I was really resistant to it for a very long time until I started to understand my brain. And then I was able to kind of work that into the intuitive eating um, kind of approach. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does.
0: So am I right in saying it's being mindful about your eating, but also recognizing what your body needs on different Mm -hmm. days and bearing mind we're women so we've got cycles and mm-hmm. I guess bringing quite a bit of compassion towards ourselves of what we're we're feeling yeah and I yeah. think the mindfulness is really probably quite a poignant one isn't it because mm-hmm. we can like you say the impulsivity we can eat for the sake of it and I know that from speaking to lots of different people that disordered eating is a you know it comes hand in hand often with ADHD especially binge yeah. eating How do you, when you've got your clients that come to you, how do you help them navigate a path towards intuitive eating?
2: Yeah. So yeah, I would say that most people with ADHD who come to me come with this idea that, that they are just binge eating, right? Like that they have binge eating disorder or they are just um, like quote unquote overeating. And a lot of the work we do is kind of dissecting what that means and understanding why the binge eating is happening. And I would say like 99% of the time, it's actually a symptom of restriction and that restriction can be from diet culture, right? It can be intentional. It can be dieting, but with ADHD, it can also be like forgetting to eat or not getting very much variety um, with the food that we're eating, or maybe like with medication, not feeling hungry all day and then eating a ton at night. But because of diet culture and the way that we are taught how we should eat in response to only hunger, that often gets missed. And so oftentimes ADHDers just think that they're binging and don't really have the recognition that it's actually restriction. So I hope people really identify like what's underlying that binge eating and working on building like, tools and support systems to make sure that all of their food needs are getting met and and if they are, you know, well-nourished and they're getting pleasure and satisfaction from food and they still find themselves binging, then that would be like one more place to work on um, kind of developing like a toolbox for sometimes using food for emotions and then also having other tools.
0: Yeah, I think what you say is is really interesting but it's so multi-layered in different areas isn't it because you know you talk about the anti-diet culture or the diet culture that so many of us especially as women who are maybe just discovering we've got ADHD we've had ADHD all our lives and we may have grown up in this culture where it was just normal to either to see a, a mother on on a diet or just to see it and it's only just only very very recently recognizing that this diet culture, isn't right, and it's bread, lots of disordered eating, sadly. But we were also contending with, like you said, medication, but also our brain chemicals of seeking dopamine, which I have historically understood, you know, for, for binge eating, that we do have um, a lack of dopamine. And so very often through food, we find, we, we try and replace it. How do we then know which, what's going on with with ADHD?
2: Yeah, it can be really hard to tell. Um, And like I said, like 99% of the people who walk through my door, there are these other underlying food needs that are not being met. It's almost like we can't know if it's dopamine seeking if we're not fully nourished. And so then once somebody is fully nourished, they're getting variety, they're eating consistently throughout the day, they're eating enough and they're eating foods that they really enjoy, getting pleasure and satisfaction. That's when we can then tell, like, is this more of a dopamine seeking behavior? And we know that dopamine seeking um, of food is exacerbated when we're undernourished. So that dopamine seeking is going to be more intense, food is going to be more rewarding and more exciting if we're not eating enough. Um, So one of the ways of managing that is actually eating, which feels like very backwards and and can feel confusing and, and almost like radical for a lot of people. So it's a lot of like meaning and entrusting and experimentation with that. Yeah. I think also like from a medication perspective
0: especially if we are just trying out new new medications and some of them are appetite suppressants that we suddenly realize at 4pm that we've not eaten properly and we've not felt hungry
2: yeah 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 and that's where that intuitive eating piece can get really confusing right like if you're just waiting for those hunger signals then you're not going to eat until 4pm. And so that's where I hear ADHDers say, like, well, I can't be intuitive. But really, we basically go down to, okay, how can you understand that your body is going to need food before 4pm? Right? If you're binging at night, your body is telling you, I need food earlier in the day. How can you use that information to then feed yourself earlier in the day, and maybe like set reminders so that you are getting food, even if you don't feel like that physical hunger. And then one of the things about ADHD, the symptoms of hunger often mimic ADHD. So when people say like throughout the day, like my ADHD symptoms are so much worse, that can be an indication that we're hungry and and not like we don't have enough medication or our ADHD is, is not well managed. And so that can be part of that intuitive eating process, like understanding hunger in different ways.
0: It's really hard to connect the dots, isn't it? Especially if you don't know we've got ADHD that we respond quite badly to being hungry
2: yeah and that emotional dysregulation can be so intense and that can be where people feel like maybe they're eating emotionally right because you're feeling a lot and then and then maybe like going to the cabinet and eating like an entire bag of chips or whatever it is so then people will say like well I must be emotionally eating when really you're like eating because you're emotional but you're emotional because you're hungry
0: I think some people have been so disconnected for so long, haven't they, with food and, and and recognizing all the different signs that I guess what food can and can't give them.
2: Do you see a lot of people that come in there and just feel so disconnected? Yeah, absolutely. Like that disembodiment and and what you're describing for yourself is um what we would call like gentle nutrition, right? Like thinking about like, okay. Not only do I know I need food, but I know that like a meal or a snack with protein is actually going to help me feel less foggy than if I just had you know one one macronutrient. Um, and so that's the gentle nutrition. And I like to think of the nutrition healing work as a pyramid where gentle nutrition is on top, and that's like the last step that that we work on. And you start at the bottom of the pyramid, which is like just getting enough food and it doesn't matter what kind of food it is. And then working your way up um, through those things like variety and pleasure um, and, and accessibility, right? Like having an abundance of food. So what tips would you give people so they
0: can be ahead of themselves and, and feel yeah. like they are in control of, of getting the right nutrients?
2: I would say like the biggest tip that I start with is to keep it simple. Um, We have this idea that in order to be like, quote unquote, like good eaters or to be healthy, that we have to be preparing every single thing from scratch and that everything has to look like this, you know, Instagram worthy meal or snack. And it's, it's just not true, right? Like you can throw together a random snack and that's totally like just based on what you have and that's totally fine. But one of the keys is having that food available that you can grab from. And so it might be just like stocking your fridge with foods that you know that you like and not, not trying to say like, I'm going to have cheese and crackers on Monday afternoon, right? It might be like open the fridge and really start to think about like what actually sounds good, what speaks to you, and then just grabbing that and eating it and letting that be okay. And then with meals, really relying on like pre-cut vegetables, right? Because if, if there's too many steps, we're not going to do it. Um, And that's something I learned about myself early on, like, I'm not going to sit and cut up an onion and carrots and celery to start a soup. Um, And so I'll just buy the like combo pack of like mirepoix, right? And and just use that, Um, because it's already prepared, it makes things easier. And so really just asking, like, how can I make this? one or two or three steps easier Mm -hmm. and not feel all this pressure to have to do everything um on my own Um, and that that goes against diet culture but it's so important for for folks with executive dysfunction
0: i saw in your instagram (laughs) that you're a big uh, fan of the instant pot is that right yes yes
2: and i'm like not sponsored by instant pot but i i really believe that like every adhd or should experiment with one and see if it's something that works for them um because you can you can throw anything in and one of my favorite things is like taking frozen meat out of the freezer and throwing it in because I never remember to take it out that's just not something that's going to happen for me um and so that was a big game changer and yeah just being able to like throw things in and walk away um makes making dinner so much easier for me Yeah, I have to say, I,
0: I've got one as well. And I love it. And I use it for so many different things. And exactly that, you know, say you come in from work, or you come in with your kids, and, you, and you've had that realization that you've not done anything. It's all it's just so much quicker. And again, it's you've got another tool to your belt, haven't you of instead of shaming yourself and, oh, my God, I've not done this again it's okay, like I've got the instant pot, I can do this, I can throw some stuff in from the freezer and dinner will still be ready, you know, at a decent time, as opposed to having to resort to whether it's takeaway and the spiral of, of, of shame again, of, oh, here's another night I've, I've done a takeaway, another night I've not been organised. So it's definitely trying to find lots of tools and hacks that work for Mm -hmm. us, that may not work for other people, with other families, that, you know, I was speaking to someone recently, someone else with ADHD, and she just said the minute she dropped this story, that everything had to look like her neighbor or her friend, the way they did things, it was like this freedom. It was almost like this blank canvas for life, that she'd written all these rules, that the way things should be, and she kept struggling to achieve these, you know, get to that place. Or and, and she was comparing herself all the time. And then she just made a choice. It's literally just making a choice that I'm not going to subscribe to the way they do things because the way they do things is the way that's right for them. But it's not right for me. And once we make that choice, when we've got the recognition that okay, we've got ADHD. This is why we've always been in resistance to lots of things. We've struggled. But I can make a choice now. I can either go do things my way, which work and still feeds me and still feeds my family. Or I can still keep pushing and resisting and kind of, you know, getting angry with myself. So it's it's nice to be able to have that place where it's it's almost like a a self-acceptance and a forgiveness Mm -hmm. for the way we
2: are. And let's find a way that works for us yeah yeah it's totally like unlearning that internalized ableism right that belief that we're broken if we can't do things perfectly or consistently or in an organized way Um, and so yeah like you said like letting go of that narrative um, and that's where the self-compassion piece is huge I think that it comes into every conversation that I have with an ADHD or Every session, we we talk about okay, and how can you have self compassion, right? Because things aren't gonna go like you said the way that that we're taught or we're shown they should that it should go.
0: Yeah, self compassion is huge. always learning always learning and and I think we have to have the self-compassion for knowing like you say that every day is going to be different and we're going to have really good days and we're going to think we've like smashed it and we've learned and then we're going to wake up the next morning and everything's going to be late and we didn't go to bed the night before like the time we wanted to and we're going to start the morning but that doesn't mean that every day is going to be like that whereas I think maybe beforehand we just wrote this script about ourselves and we kind of like fall into that character of I'm the person that can't get up in time to have breakfast I'm the person that doesn't prepare dinner and we just you know fall into that way of being whereas maybe we can just start talking to ourselves that every day we just try the hardest that we can with the resources that we've got depending on our cycles depending on all the outside, you know, circumstances that are going on because nothing's linear and no one's perfect ADHD or not. Like no
2: one is perfect. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so much of like meal planning and and thinking about food and cooking is almost like planning for that perfect day every day. And so I love to think about like, how can we plan for different levels of energy and time and capacity and even like motivation, right? And maybe, maybe you sleep in past your alarm, like, can you have one breakfast option that's just grab and go for those days where you, where you don't get up early, but then you could have an option for the days where you do get up early, right? Like maybe you're making an omelet on those days where you feel like a 10 and you're grabbing a granola bar on the days where you feel like a one. And that way you're still nourishing your body and you're still feeding yourself um, and not falling into that pit of shame of like, oh, I didn't feed myself again. I didn't have time. Um, And so it it is like almost this level planning and knowing like we're going to have a whole range of days and that's okay. I also wanted to ask you a little
0: bit about, I guess, what you see with women. uh, Sorry, women and men, but I'm just kind of thinking women now who are coming in and presenting with Kind of things that come in combination with ADHD, such as gut problem, um, gut problems and um, maybe autoimmune conditions, um, maybe things like chronic fatigue syndrome, that th- there may not be kind of lots of scientific evidence that there are connections, but I know sort of anecdotally, I've seen it and I know you've probably seen it. What, how, why is that? Why are
2: we presenting with these different conditions alongside the ADHD? Yeah. Yeah. I love that question. I think it's something that like, I wish I even talked more, more about because it's something I see so often. Um, and oftentimes like these conditions that are, would be considered like not well managed. Right. Um, and like thinking about like my own experience, um, I have hypothyroid and if I am not eating consistently, I'm not getting enough food throughout the day, my symptoms get worse regardless of how much medication I'm taking. And so oftentimes like that's happening because of the ADHD and it's making the, you know, the fatigue and um, just like not feeling well, the brain fog, it's making it worse. Um, But I'm blaming it on the ADHD and not really thinking about like, okay, well maybe if I was just feeding myself, like all of these things could be better. Um, And so I think it, it is more about like the organization and the management of Of our lives in general um that we see these conditions exacerbated in folks that have adhd it's sort of like a um like a parallel symptom i guess (laughs) for lack of a better word where do people start
0: if they're listening to this now and they are recognizing that this is them this has been a big part of their life for so long
2: yeah can it be managed through food and food alone right right I would say the answer to that is no. And I'm so glad that you, yeah, that you mentioned um, more of like that stress management because there is such a connection between our guts and our brains. Um, There's like actually a nerve that connects the two. And so ADHDers have been found to have higher levels of stress and higher levels of cortisol. Um, And those things are going to make um, GI conditions, especially like IBS are going to make them worse. And so when we can care for ourselves more holistically, right, not just food, food is like one, one tiny piece, but yeah, sleep and being able to move your body in a way that feels good and, and being able to connect with friends and have all of these other um, pieces of wellness attended to that, that that's going to help both with like the autoimmune or the chronic condition, and it's also going to help with ADHD, um, right? That that it's going to it's going to be twofold what's a good
0: tip of being able to kind of keep reconnecting back to our bodies
2: yeah that's such a good question um i think it's going to be so different for everybody depending on like level of comfort and just like experiences that we've had in our body right like some people are more comfortable entering into their body um and some people that's not a safe place um But I, I like to tell people like even just like one second of connecting and noticing like, okay, where am I feeling a sensation in my body, right? Like, am I feeling like this tightness in my chest? Okay, I'm aware of that. And then moving on Um, and not feeling like you have to be in your body 100% of the time, or you have to fully understand what's going on in your body 100% of the time. It's sort of like dipping your toe in the water, um, and then over time that can become more natural where you, you're tuning in without having to think about it and you're recognizing, oh, okay. Like I have this tightness in my chest. That means that maybe I'm anxious. Maybe I need a few deep breaths and that becomes kind of this unconscious process. But again, it's like starting with the smallest step. Um, and so, you know, maybe setting an alarm like once a day to just like do a really quick five second body scan. And just notice and don't make any meaning out of it just just kind of check in um, I think would be a good starting place
0: yeah that feels really achievable actually isn't it it's just kind of again it's like removing the judgment thank you so much for joining me on today's episode I hope you found what you were looking for in this conversation and it's helped guide you towards some further self-healing self-exploration and most importantly self-acceptance And if you have enjoyed this conversation and would like to experience more of my work, such as access to exclusive live workshops and opportunities for group coaching sessions, connecting with other like-minded women and a general feeling of belonging, please come and check out my monthly membership, the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Collective. I've made it as affordable as possible and I offer you lots of resources and opportunities for connection and support from other women all around the world being diagnosed with ADHD later on in life. I'd absolutely love to see you there. All the details are in this episode's show notes or on my website, adhdwomenswellbeing.co.uk. See you in the next episode.